Welcome to the Revolutionary Love and Resilience Podcast Season 2. I'm Myra Holtzman. And I'm Shelby Lee. We are both trained psychotherapists who wear a few different hats working in the field of healing. Together, we focus on somatic-based and other leading-edge approaches to healing trauma. We're here igniting a revolution around embodiment, life after trauma, and nurturing resilience. We know that collaborating as colleagues and peers makes us stronger, wiser, and meaningfully connected. If you're a coach, therapist, care provider, or someone impacted by trauma, this podcast is for you. We believe in the body as an ally in the healing process and support the magic of helping nervous systems come back into balance. Join us as we offer an empowering and relationship-focused perspective to healing. This is a place where fierce and tender folks can come to get support and encouragement. We want you to know that we are right here with you on the path. Here we are again, Myra. Good to see you. I'm so excited to be in this conversation with you. Me too. Good to see you as well. (laughs) I love the look on my face and your face. We're still finding our way together, arriving. Like, how do we want to start this thing? And, you know, it just reminds me so often of how I feel in the beginning of client sessions or groups where I'm like, how do we begin? (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, we just had that conversation about maybe having a format and I brought it up and I realized that what I liked about what you said is that we're finding our way together, which I really appreciate because doing the work that we do, I think that we can generally feel like we have to know all of the answers. And in this situation, especially for me, I feel like, yep, I'm definitely finding my way and kind of feeling my way around blind. So thanks for saying that. It sort of helps me feel a little bit more settled and reminds me I don't have to have it all right and perfect and know all the things because that's always going to get in the way. Yeah. And I know for myself, transitions, any kind, big, small, like little moments, moments we have all the time that I'm just awkward. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, like, can I laugh with myself? Can you laugh with me? It's just how it is. And it might never change. And I'm kind of okay with it. (laughs) Totally. Fantastic. (laughs) So now we need to have some awkward thing to do at the beginning of every podcast. Right. Pretty much. I think we might be doing that for a little while until we're more in rhythm of, you know, doing this together. So totally. Uh, Well, we talked today about our own experiences and a lot of the experiences of our clients and students. Uh, How can we do what we do being care providers when life is happening, when we're not feeling like we're at our best? And I know that we have so much pressure on us in these industries to seem like we've got our shit together, like everything is perfect so that people can look up to us. And this is such a paradigm that I want to bust with you today because it's not something that's serving me, and I'm guessing it's not serving anyone. Agreed. Let's definitely dive in. And the topic, again, is how we do what we do, working in trauma specifically and other things, and still show up for our clients. So I'd love for you to lead off. Yeah. Yeah. And last week was a really good example. We started talking about this because we had a call scheduled where we were going to record podcasts on Tuesday, just a few days ago. And I said, you know, it's actually going to be the 
day after the anniversary of my dad's suicide and it'll be four years. And what I know about my system is that I never know (laughs) what's going to be happening that day. And Monday rolled around and my goodness, I was upside down. And these Mm. things were really stored, you know, in my cells, in my body. I'm doing great in my life. And Monday came and I was just foggy, full of grief, heavy, lethargic. And so the question it was, you know, how do we show up? How do I show up for clients? How do I show up for my business? How do I I show up with you uh, for Mm -hmm. this quote unquote work we do, if we could call it that. (laughs) (laughs) And that was how the topic came up. And for me, it's like, so many of our friends, our colleagues, our peers, the people we work with are, you know, mothers, they're students, they're going through, you know, they're experiencing trauma on a daily basis, some yeah. some people. And it's like, does that mean we can't be coaches? What do you think, Myra? I mean, it's such a juicy question because I think it's something that we all have to navigate and uh, I'm just so curious to hear about how you navigated what came up for you last week with the anniversary of your dad's suicide. Is it okay if we dive in there? Because what we do really well together is riff. And one of the questions that I had for you was, so when you showed up that day and you were sort of feeling foggy and kind of out of it, do you remember what your sort of first instinct was or your first thought, like how you related to that experience in yourself? Does that question make sense? Yeah. My very first thought, this is something that happens a lot, is that, you know, the date is there on the calendar and I blocked it out. And I, I was like, I'm just going to keep that day to do something meaningful and I'm not going to schedule anything. And like Shelby fashion over, <laughs> over the weeks, that day started filling up <laughs> with oh, I could totally leave this call because it's with, you know, students I love, which is absolutely true. It feels easy. You know, it feels like what, who else would I rather spend that day with? (laughs) And then, you know, it started filling up with little admin tasks and little meetings with my web developer. And all of a sudden that started feeling really familiar. Uh, I can handle this. I can handle anything. I've got this. You know, I have a practice. It'll get me through it all. And so it was more like a, how do I just get myself through pulling from all of my resources instead of just creating space so I wouldn't have to pull from all my resources, which is something I'm still really, really learning. Yeah. How to pull from your resources and create the space instead of sort of subconsciously or unconsciously fill up all of that time? Yeah, this thing of like, and I'm getting this reflection from everyone in my life right now in kind of a painful way. It's like, oh, you've got this. Like, and I know I've got this. Like I could fill it to the brim and I would have it. But what I'm wanting to shift towards is what if I actually just totally take the pressure off and create space and not have to muscle through things, not have to keep proving to myself that I've got this. <laughs> it's like, sure. Okay. We know I've got this. It's going to be fine. All the calls are going to be great. And can you give yourself a little space to just be period? 
<laughs> yeah. And I don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah. So what ended up happening then with your day full of calls and, you know, having not created the space? Like how, because that this is now the question, right? Like, what were you doing to take care of yourself in the midst of all of the things that you had planned and all of the conversations? What was it like to be in your body? We'll just start with those two questions yeah. and see where they go for you. Yeah. You know, I did something that I... I hadn't ever done before that I can remember quite in this way where the night before, cause that was a Monday, I was talking to a good friend and he and I had been on the phone for about an hour and all of a sudden something shifted and I felt all of the sadness in my body. And usually what I would do would be get off the phone and go manage it myself <laughs> and, or ignore it, turn on Netflix. And I just, got brave in that moment. And I said to him, you know, I know we're like on this thing, on this particular topic in this conversation. And I just want to share with you, I just got hit with an overwhelming amount of sadness. And I am really aware that, you know, my mind at night starts to go towards all of the scary and painful things that happen during this time. Mm -hmm. And I just want to share that with you. And knowing him and he just showed up, you know, but I don't let people show up. Usually, usually I go off and deal and he just slowed everything down and held me and listened and kept asking like, what would be helpful right now? What would, do you want to share more? Can you tell me more? I'm right here with you. And I just let myself cry a lot and letting people into my process it's funny. So many people let me into their process, but I have this ongoing story that I've got to be the one to hold it all. And I do it all alone. And my stuff is way too big for anyone except for my therapist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm really starting to let friends in, in these ways. And it felt like the best medicine ever. You know, the next, all of Monday was easy. It was super easy. And I went for a long nature walk with the dogs where I really took some time to just feel in between all of the meetings I'd set. It, but it was that co-regulation and really letting myself feel my feelings with another that was a game changer for me. Beautiful. I noticed as you were talking that my whole body started to relax and settle when you were talking about pausing in the conversation that you were in with your friend and then letting yourself receive the kind of care and co-regulation and attunement that we really need to be fully resourced in the roles that we are in life. And I also found myself getting really tearful thinking about how we, as healers, as practitioners, like how I think, I wonder if a lot of us don't know how to receive the, the same kind of care that we give, right? And <laughs> Does that, does that make sense to you? Like, I'm so good at being yeah. attuned. I know how to do all of that. I can do it for so many people in my life. And yeah, I think learning how to receive is probably one of the biggest ways to get resourced given what we do and the intensity of the client work and the work that we just do in general is. So something about that was very tender and touching for me and, and really helpful. So I told you earlier, I'm on day two of a detox and yesterday, I burned my pizza in my new air fryer. <laughs> I was sitting in my 
kitchen weeping about it. And I had this moment Mm -hmm. where I was like, you can handle it. Just get another pizza. Like it's no big deal. Like go out and get food. Like kind of just all the self-management that I know how to do. And there was a turning point where this little voice in my head was like, girl, it's okay to cry over burnt pizza. Like it doesn't have to be some big epic thing, some, some big transformation that you're going through. Just that sort of pressure release of like, I fucking really wanted that pizza and I'm really hungry and now I've got to wait another 15 minutes. It's a small thing in, you know, in comparison to like the anniversary that you were talking about with your dad's suicide. But there's something powerful about that because what it really allowed my nervous system to do was just bounce back. Like, you know, within 15 or 20 minutes, I was back on track. My husband came out and was like, oh, you're better. And I was like, yeah. And mainly it was because I didn't resist what was right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I really appreciate your share in terms of how you revealed yourself to your friend and got the support that you needed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, what you said around, you know, I wonder if some of us are really, you know, we're great at attuning. And so many of us who are practitioners and clinicians have this experience where it feels like we either can't let others do that for us or they're not doing it in the way that we really like to be received. And I think a lot of us feel kind of lonely and frustrated because not only are those two things happening, but I think a lot of other people, the feedback I've got, are terrified to show up because they know we have so much training and they're afraid that they won't do it in the way that we were trained. And so they just kind of stay at a distance. Yes. And it's just such a recipe for not getting the connection and care that we really need Mm -hmm. to be able to do our work really well. Absolutely. The other thing that struck me about what you said earlier was, do I have something like, do I have to keep proving to myself that I can do it? I just can't even tell you. I mean, how it's not as present for me now as it was when I was younger, but I remember being you know, in my 20s and 30s and constantly being on this proving ground to prove my worth and to prove my capacity and capability and all of that stuff. And that's a whole nother piece that I think is really important to acknowledge is can we give ourselves permission to not have to prove anything to anyone, whether it's our clients or other colleagues or whoever it is that we think we're trying to prove it to. That was a really beautiful piece for me to hear. And it just reminded me of how long I had been on proving grounds and how exhausting it is to be on proving grounds, like proving that I'm a good enough therapist, proving that I'm well-trained and all of the things that I know how to do. Um, And I'll also just share this little piece. Like one of the things I don't do as a therapist is I don't, I don't speak theory very well, like theory or like, oh, now your vagus nerve is doing this and this, you know, whatever it is that like, I hear a lot of clinicians that can be really cortical. You used that word earlier. I really liked it, like really in their head. And I can't do that at all. And for years in my practice, years as being a therapist, that was a place where I always felt stupid. Like I felt really ashamed that I couldn't call on the theory on whatever the theory was. And it's been a real part of my success is consistently being like, girl, you have nothing to prove, right? Like if you're not a good fit for this client, you're not a good fit and you're going to be a better fit for somebody else. So I also wanted to acknowledge that because that 
that I think just comes part and parcel with all of us that are trying to do the healing work, trying to you know be the healers that we are. Is like we've got to prove to someone, some unknown face, that we're okay and that we can you know that we're we know what we're doing. So I appreciated that mm-hmm. piece as well. That was wonderful. Yeah, and that's part of playing into the old trauma dynamics of ourselves or our clients for yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. I have a question for you. I'm wondering what you think about this because, you know, on some of my harder days, part of what I think about is like part of the thing that I tell myself for good or for bad is like, okay, Myra, just compartmentalize, like just put it away for right now and you can revisit it later. But, you know, the basic message is put it away, which I think is appropriate. But I, you know, what do you think about that whole concept of, of compartmentalizing? Mm, It makes me think of something one of our teachers says a lot when working, uh, Steve Terrell. He'll say, all of the parts of you are welcome. And, you know, right now, we're just going to let that part hang out over there so we can do this work right here. You know, something like that. Maybe he would say it differently. Yeah. And so it's like an acknowledgement that these parts are here and they want to participate and they want to be seen and heard and we care about them. And... Uh, they don't get to drive the bus, <laughs> you know, right. the part of us that can is regulated, that is resourced, that can work, that can connect very, very well gets to be at the front right now. Well, the other ones get to kind of just hang out and then we come back and tend to them when appropriate. Beautiful. I love that shift because compartmentalizing often feels to me like repression or something like that. Not Not quite that level, but... I love, I forgot that Steve Terrell said that, but I do remember like the parts that maybe need some care, but they have to wait an hour, you know, kind of like my kid that's like, come on, let's go out and play. And I'm like, I promise your needs are important. I really, really care about you and I can play with you in an hour. So if you don't mind waiting. So that's really, thanks for answering what you thought about that. I was curious how you would approach that particular thought. Because I think that we do that a lot, you know, in some ways we're sort of like, on our worst days, we have to show up and, you know, supposedly put on the smiley face and think that we have it all together. And I think that there's value in that because we don't, for me, working with my clients, I don't want them to caretake me. I don't want them to have to worry about my welfare, but the acknowledgement of the part of me that might feel really vulnerable or afraid or not sure of what she's doing or is just having a bad fucking day. I like that. It's like, right, just sit over here quietly. And then when we're done, we'll go and attend to you. Cause that feels much more holistic and attuned to myself coming in and doing really profound and important work with my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There was this moment this winter when I I was going through that breakup and my heart was just aching. You know, I was just, you know, weeping every moment I was not in front of another human, you know, and sometimes (laughs) in front of another human. And it was just so painful. You know, it hit everything for my whole history. And I also was doing really deep, beautiful work with clients because, you know, sometimes when we're torn open, it leaves us like in this space where we can really, really hold some deep space for other suffering. However, I had to come up with a plan. So that little one that was just flipping out in me, (laughs) that part could feel held and just intuitively. And I think I might've even said it to you before, I have a candle on my desk and I just grabbed it, lit it and held it in my hands in front of me every single session for weeks where it was like that little one 
that part could be held in my hands. And then the integrated resourced therapist coach part who is very there and present could also do her job. And so it was just this tender thing where I was just holding that candle, that flame for that little one. And then I could be here trusting that I could return at at the end of the session when I needed to tend to that part. God damn, Shelby, that's, that's amazing. That's beautiful. That like did something in my heart. Like, like there was like a little flutter of like, oh, I, I can do that too. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think that you did share that with me. Yeah. And I also like that is not to say that we shouldn't cancel sometimes and that, you know, there is a line and it's the knowing ourselves well enough to know when those parts, you know, are just kind of being loud, but we can still show up fully. And there's that line where it's like, no, I actually need to cancel because it would not be in the highest service of my client. And for me, that's only been four times in the last 15 years. Yeah. And maybe it should have been more. Um, But I think that I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that line for yourself or for others, maybe break down what I'm saying a little better than I can. No, I love that you brought this up because I, one of part of my learning curve of being a clinician um, is learning when I've done too much because that impulse to want to cancel and then the shame that comes along with wanting to cancel because I need a mental health day, right? Here I am, this mental health practitioner, and all of a sudden I'm just having a day where I literally cannot regulate or manage because the emotions are just so big and there isn't going to be compartmentalizing. There isn't going to be setting my parts aside. It just feels too overwhelming. And so I am all for it. I'm so glad you brought that up because The shame piece, again, related to that proving ground experience has had me show up for sessions where I'm basically just bracing the entire session. And I know that I'm not being of the highest service and in integrity with myself when I'm with clients just bracing and watching the clock. And that has happened, unfortunately, as part of my learning curve to finally be able to like tell clients when I've had to cancel, listen, I've got a lot going on right now. It's not going to be best for us to meet today. And then giving myself full permission to just let that be what it is. And then the other thing that occurs to me is part of what I make up about that, and this might just be me trying to reassure myself, but I also believe that that's really good role modeling for clients, you know, for our clients that maybe don't know how to practice self-care or don't know the nuances, and then they sort of overextend themselves or they do something that isn't quite right. And then the whole, it's not that things blow up, but that it just starts to feel bad in the body. So I think that doing that, I mean, I would want you to do it more and I don't mean that in a bad way, but sometimes we just need to be human. And in our roles, I think, at least for me, I can, I sometimes will adopt or try like be in the story that I have to be superhuman and that I have to know, again, like know all of the things and I've got to be the upbeat one and the regulated one. So yes, I think that we should definitely be taking time to do that. And then just sort of back to the beginning of our conversation, what I really liked is that you you had intended to take maybe that day off on the anniversary, right? That you were just going to maybe like go take a gentle walk or whatever. And I don't, I, I really wonder if clinicians take the time, clinicians and healers and people who are wanting to be healed really take the time to set aside 
um, space for them to be in whatever might come up. I think that's a really big piece of like planning and self-care and deep self-compassion to know like, okay, in a month, this thing that really rocked my world, you know, is coming up and I need to sort of plan for it. And I really like that that's another piece of how you practice self-care on, you know, with something that was really could have been super duper charged and, you know, led you astray, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really good about that now. Like I take one week off a month just because I know, like you were talking about tracking your, yourself and your ability, you know, your capacity. And I know that if I have a whole week off every month, I am good for those other three weeks. I'm resource. I'm there. I'm present. If things come up, I know I'll have time to tend to them. And, you know, of course I can daily as well, but it just, for me, that works. And I don't know that many, like as a trained therapist, I could have never imagined giving myself permission to do that. Oh my God, the shame, you know, but now it's like, it's mandatory. It really feels so good to get so full, you know, on those weeks. And Mm -hmm. it's not that work isn't fulfilling. It's just that when I work, I'm in it, I'm present, I'm there. (laughs) So I also need to shift gears and kind of expand out sometimes too. And that really fills me up. Absolutely. I remember very early in my career when I was working for an eating disorder recovery center and I was brand new out of school, you know, a year or two or something. And I was, I hadn't worked in eating disorders before I had worked in, um, I was working at the state level, working with the chronic, chronically and persistently mentally ill. And one of my colleagues who was mentoring me and helping me train, she said, first things first, you need to at least every quarter plan something that you're looking forward to, whether it's a three-day weekend, whether it's a day trip up into the mountains, like put it on the calendar and then you hold that sacred. And that was actually really helpful because when I started working with eating disorders, I was so blown out by the intensity of working with clients who struggle with eating disorders that that was the one thing that saved me is that I started planning for these trips or I started planning for whether it was a massage or something like that, where there was just nothing, it was about nothing except for me and unplugging and being in my authentic expression. And it was really, really helpful. So that just sort of reminded me of that piece. Yeah. One thing that I I wanted to circle back to before we kind of end today was around the canceling, because I think there's a way that I love that you were naming you, that like you were bracing. I thank you for that transparency because mm-hmm. it's so true. I think a lot of us do that when we're not really taking care of ourselves, when we're not canceling when we need to. And for me, something I learned also from Steven is that it's actually okay to share with clients, uh, especially if you're working with high developmental trauma clients, like why you need to cancel. But there's also a line there. It's like you, we don't want our clients to have to take care of us. So we can share with them, you know, uh, something's come up, uh, you know, I have a doctor's appointment or I have to do this or I have a migraine instead of I just need to cancel, you know, <laughs> to really be transparent enough with them so that they know that you're not in an emergency or something like yes. that they need to be fretting about you if you need to cancel the last minute. But also to be mindful, you don't need to share your whole story. They don't have to spend their days worrying about you and send you cards. <laughs> you know, so There's some discernment there. 
um, between not putting them into alarm, but also sharing a little bit so that they can allow their nervous systems to settle. It's a great point to make because I don't, I mean, I'm making up a story that a lot of clinicians don't want to be transparent about things like that. And I feel like that's, I'm just going to use the word wrong. (laughs) Like, of course, there needs to be discernment, but I am totally with you. Um, I think that that's a really fine balance and discernment is something that we learn over time so that we can support the work that we're doing with clients, but also really support ourselves so we can be fully embodied in the work that we're doing with them. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah. And something I really have to tell myself when I have to cancel last minute is resilience is a thing. (laughs) Clients really are going to get an opportunity to feel their resilience. It's okay if they're pissed at me. It's okay if they're hurt. It's okay if we have to come back and repair that later because this is a human experience and I get to be a human in this connection. Word. So with you. Can I bring up one more thing before we wrap up? Because I wanted to check in yeah. about this with you. So you know how our, I think I've you've probably heard this, but what I have heard and especially the co-regulating touch work is, but just in general as a therapist is I need to be the most regulated person in the room. And so on the days when, you know, we can show up and we can be fully present and all of those things, I was curious about what your practices are that help you be the most regulated person in the room Um, even when you've got life happening. Mm, Yeah, that seems really important. (laughs) Yeah. So everything from like the internal to the external, walking in nature every day, twice a day often, uh, Epsom salt baths, meditation as regularly as possible. Um, I tend to kind of like not do the same meditation practice every day, but some kind of internal contemplative connecting practice. Mm -hmm. Getting regular therapy every week. I do not miss a week unless I absolutely have to with co-regulating touch. Regular peer consultation where I can really, really reflect, be vulnerable, be wise, you know, just be seen by my peers and supported. Let's see, always feeling a foot on the ground and really, really just tuning into that foot. That's right. Feeling my kidneys, really breathing into my kidneys. I often have a hand on my heart when I'm working with someone, really feeling with them, allowing myself to feel with them instead of trying to cut myself off in some way. That's exhausting. Those are a few that come to mind. How about you? That's amazing. So you once said to me, and I so trust this about you, we were talking about self-care one day and you're just like, I don't know anybody that's better at self-care than me. And I just loved how when I asked you the question, you went, in my mind, really systemic. And what I mean by systemic is, what are you doing in your outside environment, like outside of yourself that supports regulation? And I really love that. Um, what I tend to do is similar to what you were saying towards the end is feeling that one foot on the ground. So I tend to look for some place in my system that feels really good. Like is like, oh yeah, like that foot that's really nice and warm or the shoulders that are really nice and soft or the jaw that's really loose, especially when things in session maybe start to get intense. And then the natural thing that the body wants to do is brace because if we're talking about co-regulation, right? That means that we're in this back and forth relationship together and helping each other regulate our nervous systems. 
And so being able to just come into my own body and find those places that feel really solid, for example, that's been really helpful. And then the last thing I want to say, just to reiterate, is the feeling with, that's like the perfect two words to describe attunement. Like, what about if I feel with my client, right? Versus maybe feeling for or thinking that you have to fix something or, you know, jump and attend to something. Feeling with is a beautiful way to put that. So I'm glad we talked about this because it's it's varied and we have to keep finding these ways that we get to be regulated because it's just that much of an imperative. So I appreciate you answering that question. But I mainly tend to go to my body. And I also like the heart thing with feeling with because it reminds me of, not that I get lost, but like it reminds me like, right, I'm here together with my client helping to support a nervous system becoming more resilient and uh, more fluid. So that was great. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I often feel my whole back of my body and imagine all of the people that are cheering me on alive and not alive there with me supporting the session. Yeah. I tend to bring that in when I'm feeling particularly dysregulated. Like if I'm walking into a session and I know I've got stuff going on, I call it um, calling in my counsel. So I imagine, you know, my spiritual supports coming in. I also imagine, you know, the people who are really close to me that love and adore me all sort of sitting at my back and emanating care and love and joy and we're here with you. And all of that together, what you said, and then, you know, these body-based practices have been huge in helping me to be the most regulated person in the room. So I'm glad I brought up that topic before we wrap up for the day. Me too. Oh, okay. So this is really good information. I'm so glad. It's like helping me resource as we're talking about it and regulate. Oh, it's just so good to be here with you. Thank you, Myra. Thank you, Shelby. Talk to you later. Okay. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and being part of this love revolution. If you're feeling nourished and supported by this podcast, please share it with your people. Subscribe so you're notified of all of our episodes and leave a five-star review so we can get the word out. If you're a therapist, coach, or on your own healing journey and have themes you'd love to have us explore, send us an email at revolutionaryloveandresilience at gmail.com. You can find both of our offerings, everything from online courses to one-on-one sessions by following our links in the show notes or searching our names online.